Uh, my name is Nelson. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors at Artisan. I am not offering the sermon this morning, but I get to introduce the one who is uh, delighted that Lawrence Chung uh, is going to be bringing the preach this morning. Uh, Lawrence and I go back a number of years. We have bonded over a number of things, uh, Premier League football, also known as soccer. We do not support the same team, um, but he's still welcome here. And uh, we have bonded over a spiritual direction, a spiritual formation. Lawrence works as a chaplain at St. Paul's and also has a gift of preaching. And so we're really delighted to have finally got this opportunity to hear from Lawrence. I think he is delivering this sermon right from his workplace, uh, just in case. I don't know what's going to happen if you get called in the middle of it. Is someone going to finish it? We're just going to trust the Holy Spirit to fill in the gaps. You let us know what the plan is for, for, for if you get called away. We haven't discussed it. So Lawrence, bless you. Uh, Lawrence and his, his family, his wife Phoebe and, and their kids have been connected with Artisan for I think almost two years. Uh, if my math is not quite entirely correct, you can correct that too. But um, thank you for uh, being willing to step into this place and pray the peace of Christ over you as you um, offer this sermon this morning. Thank you, Nelson. Um, I hope you can hear me right. And uh, if there is an ambulance, uh, you know, in the background, don't worry, it's going to be all right. And, um, and thank you, Nelson, for the introduction um, and the invitation this morning. I, I'm not sure if I'm a good preacher, but I, I hope I'm a better listener than I'm, I'm a speaker. I am an, an, an invited settler on this unceded land on the Coast Salish people. And I'm also a second language, 1.5 generation immigrant and trying to make sense of my bicultural heritage and the ever-confusing call to live fully in this land called Vancouver, both in the present, but also the already but not yet kingdom. Um, so I always tell people I'm confused as to who I am and what I do, but somehow the law has sustained me. Uh, and I'm just thankful to be part of uh, the artisan community, especially this morning, get to share a little bit of what I read from the scripture and hopefully we can journey together in the next 20 minutes, 25 minutes or so on something that the scripture has um, spoken to us. Someone once said there are three kinds of relationships we need to deal with in life and that would be our relationships with ourselves, our relationships with other people uh, and our relationships with the universe. And I would even say this is true to people with no formal spiritual affiliation. And I see a lot of that in the hospital when I encounter them, chatted with them on, you know, on life in general and as they go through serious illness and, and uh, in a facility where we try to manage the disease that they go through. And as we age, when we wrestle with these questions, we see answers from different layers. Um, that we have never experienced before. Sometimes we celebrate, sometimes we struggle. Well, not sometimes, but always. And sometimes we lament. We're in the middle of the series, preaching series in Addison called The Third Way. And so I've been thinking about a lot what it means to live the third way. And in preparation of this, I actually went back the last couple of weeks to the whole set of homilies on YouTube. And I watched them all over again. And like various stops in the Camino pilgrimage, each sermon has its own significance as we reflect 
and think about you know how you know we you know live, but together as a series as 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 at each stop, I think they form a pathway, and I call it a unique pathway because we had traveled together since April, and along the way we are also invited to explore and reflect on the three dimensional relationships that I mentioned earlier. You may recall that we began in late April as Danny opened our series on the topic of discipleship. And then for you know, the beginning of May, Nelson follow up with a very personal account of how he worships in his grief over the release of Allison from BCMB. And in the month of May, Kathy challenges on the notion of partnership. Scott reminded us about DNA as fellow travelers in Christ. Remember the concept of Ubuntu? I am because of you. We're not talking about a restaurant on Fraser and 26. We're talking about a concept that we are with other people. Then over the Pentecost and Trinity Sunday, there was an invitation to go deeper into what I call a spirit-enhanced living. It's not just spirit-filled, but spirit-enhanced living that we interact with the triune God and there's room for more than just one. In the last three weeks, we've been treated with a mini series on love, loving God, loving neighbor, and loving self. So we're three quarters into our series, and today our focus is on the notion of unity and diversity. Now, we should note that we're not just here to talk about unity and diversity. The Apostle John proclaims that the work became flesh in the personhood of Jesus so that we're not here to reverse engineer that. You will remember a couple of weeks back, Brian reminded us theology is more than just a subject for a dialogue. It has to be lived. So how then shall we live? As Francis Schaeffer reminded us, how can we live? What informs our compass for direction as a faith community? What is our relational and theological posture as we go forward. The text that we have this morning is the Ephesians 4. Uh, I'm gonna read it with you uh, from the New Living Translation and that's gonna be on the screen. And I'll invite you to uh, follow along on the screen or with your own Bible. So Ephesians chapter four, verses one to 16. And it goes like this. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, Beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in spirit. Bind yourself together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended into the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And at the same time, at the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he, we might fill the entire universe with himself. Verse 11, now these are the gifts of Christ gave to the church. 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown out, blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, and each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The work of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is such a beautiful letter written for the churches in, in, in Ephesus and also for us today. Paul outlines God's plan of redemption and our part in the story. Ephesians 4, in my opinion, is one of the most important chapters of the New Testament, if not the Bible. The first half of this letter, chapters 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul outlines the Christ of our faith, the Trinity. God the Father, the architect of the story, Christ the Son, the embodiment of salvation, and Holy Spirit, the light that guides, completing the goals of salvation within the faith community, and in our context, Odyssey. But faith is much more than cerebral ideas or dogmatic nuggets. It must be lived out as alluded to earlier. And this is where today's text sits in relevance, I think. How do we live in unity with our fellow travelers on the journey? Especially when some of them look, think, and live, and may I add, cheer for a different football team than you. If they live quite differently than the default, the way that we're accustomed to, how can we connect with them? How can we live in unity? Christina Cleveland, a social psychologist, um, she, I think she's now on the faculty at the Duke Divinity School in North Carolina, and she's also a director of the, a center at her school called the Center for Reconciliation. She wrote a little book titled This Unity in Christ in 2013. It's a little outdated, but I think there's still some relevance to, to us today. In this book, she was quite candid about her own experiences when it comes to relating to other people. That is very different from her in particularly a brother in her church, whose name is Ben, whom she describes as an inflexible, preachy, conservative guy whose career thrives in building nuclear warheads. Now, to make things even better, Ben also dresses regularly in his Hawaiian print button downs. So as Christina lamented her fate of knowing Ben spending, will be spending the entire eternity with her in this kind of dress, uh, dressing, in this kind of, I shouldn't say dressing, but clothing. She wrote the following, and that's what she wrote. The way I saw it, there were two types of Christians, the wrong kind of Christians and the right kind of Christians. It was that simple. Wrong Christian was not a thinker. He hasn't read a book in previous two years and had the limited vocabulary to prove it. He voted based on one of the two issues abortion and homosexuality. Wrong Christian lack 
cross-cultural sensitivity and somehow managed to avoid spending quality time with anyone who did not share his race and culture. Curiously, right Christian was a lot more like me. She boasted of the ethnic diversity of her friend group and joked that she and her friends look like they have just walked up the pages of a United Colors of Benetton clothing ad. She hopped onto poverty, social justice, and environmental bandwagons, as well as any other bandwagons that would vote at the time. Wright Christian was a reader and a writer. In fact, she would written more books than Ron Christian had read. She was strong. She knew that she was wonderful, charming, and frank, frankly, a more valuable member of the body of Christ than Ron Christians. And then she said this, as I got to know Jesus, I began to realize this was not exactly what he had in mind when he invited us to participate in his kingdom on earth. And as I read through the gospels, I noticed that he had a habit of connecting with everybody. He was pretty serious about connecting in spite of natural and ideological differences. I don't know if you can relate to this somewhat funny, but also a true you know, quote. I think sometimes I do. Segregation remains to be an issue in our city, and perhaps more so on Sunday morning within the house of God than any other time. Um, the kingdom of God is known for what we do not agree with one another these days than what un unifies us. How do we experience God in our everyday lives is often done in relationships. If we are to emulate the characteristics of God, there's no other place to do it but in our relationships, inwardly with ourselves, upwardly with him, and, and outwardly with the body of Christ and beyond. And walking according to the precepts of Jesus, loving one another in unity seems to be the main themes in the first half of Ephesians 4. Now, two times in this chapter, if you, if you pay attention carefully, verses 1 and 17, Paul asked the believers in Ephesus to walk in a particular manner, and the appeal serves as a natural divider of this chapter. In the first half, we see the blueprint of what one body looks like, which is the church. And in the verses following verse 17, we look at the specifics of this new person living in the one body. Paul's clear is very clear. There's one God, and we are to live in unity. He was speaking to the churches that are probably comp you know, comprised of Jewish people and Gentiles. Christ gives us the full measure of grace for each of us, and that is the baseline for our spiritual growth and maturity. So in verse 1, Paul urges the people to live a life worthy of the calling that they have received. The late John Stott, uh, who's a... Uh, quite a, a biblical commentary writer. He had an outline for Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, and um, I'd like you to take a look at that on the screen. Um, and I thought that was a really nice way of sort of dividing this chapter and look at this chapter uh, on, you know, what, what unites us and what makes us unique and different. Verse two is about our oneness as a church and it depends on the charity of our character and conduct. Verses three to six, again, our oneness arises from the unity of our God, which we talked about earlier. Verses seven to 12, the body is enriched 
by the diversity of the gifts. And then to wrap up the first half, verses 13 to 16, the body demands the maturity of our growth. What does the oneness of a faith community look like? Look, look with me at verse three. Here the apostle asked the believers to make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Oneness depends on charity of our conduct, our character and our conduct. And I think it's almost like there are two pairs of behavior or, or pointers that will that will point to what charity is. And that is the first pair is patience and humility. Just imagine them as sort of entities, okay? Patience and humility, that's one pair. And now you have another pair in, 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 in verse two, gentleness and bearing with one another. And, and the two pairs are carried by a boat called love. Now this charity goes beyond our humanistic desire to do good. Um, just before I, I came on, I was just talking to uh, uh, my friend who's a, a Roman Catholic priest in this hospital. And, and we were talking about the concept of charity. And he said, charity is always based on the love of God. It has to be the source of the love of God. So when we make out attempts to live in humility, in gentle spirit with one another for peace, then we have a higher possibility of aligning with the seven ones in verses three and six. And they are the one spirit, one Lord, and one God and Father of all, which is the triune God. And then we also have the one body, that's the church, one hope in Christ, one faith, and one baptism, which is how we relate as you know, body of Christ as church, brothers and sisters, how we relate to the Trinity as a faith community. John Stott interprets the above passage in this fashion. He says, unity must be visible. It cannot be just an idea. And I think of the example Jesus set for us in John 13. You remember John 13, the foot washing experience. This is our ultimate witness to the world that we are one in a visible way, united in Christ, despite how different we are, serving and loving one another, no matter how hard it is and how different we are from one another. This past um, winter and spring, as we turned the calendar year to um, 2021, um, Phoebe and I, we joined a small group with like one of the best names you can ever name. It's called COVID neighborhood group. I don't know if you ever belong to a group like this. It's like one of the best names. We were relatively new to Artisan and, and prior to that, there was a, a void for a few years where we didn't experience deep fellowship. And so we joined this group and wanted to really engage and connect because we're sick and tired of just being on our own and, and, and loneliness is hard. And we long for that deeper way of you know, experiencing Connellia with, with our, our friends and, and brothers and sisters. And in our first meeting, I think I realized that, wow, I'm very different from most of the people in our group. You know, we're married, we have kids, and most people don't have kids in our group. Very different ethnic background, you know, quite diverse in terms of what we do for a living and life stages. And it took us some time uh, to warm up, especially when we're not able to meet in person. 
And so it's always like looking at this tiny little square or rectangles on Zoom and trying to figure out who this person is, how tall is this person, you know, how does this person talk? But as we open up more and more to one another, our common desire to connect began to drive the momentum of our group. And we celebrate little things like being able to sleep. Uh, kids get to be in school, to major ones like career changes, moving across the city, you know, and we pray for one another in between our meetings. We lament together over the injustices that we see in our cities. We share life together in Christ. And it was Christ that drew us near him. So we draw near one another. And that we were able to experience a degree of what heaven is like, fellowship. Although we didn't do it, but as I reflect on our time together, I felt like as we make ourselves available these past few months when it comes to foot washing, I felt like we were figuratively washing each other's feet. We're in the month of July almost, and, and hopefully, and I pray, we are nearing the end of our solidarity confinement in this pandemic, and we can soon to be together again. Uh, I miss many things about church on Sunday mornings, but one thing I miss the most is the table. When we participate at the table, we engage in the act of remembering. And there are two kinds of remembering. Each time we come to the table, of course, we remember the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. At the same time, we remember into the community of saints throughout church history that we, we commit we will engage ourselves again to Christ and to one another. It is not an individual exercise when we do communion. We just look at, oh, I need to purge my sins. I need to gain forgiveness. We pledge allegiance to Christ and we pledge allegiance to our common born on earth as brothers and sisters, fellowshipping with one another at the table. And that's something that, that I cannot wait that we can do it again together in the same space. As we continue to read on Ephesians 4, the concept of oneness takes on a very different weight length in verse seven. It shifts from unity to diversity. And here are the emphasis on the uniqueness of individual within the body, uh, within the unity of the body. It's no longer just about as, as one, but also the uniqueness of us as unique people. Now the translation of the NIV is a little confusing to us as the word grace is used to describe the spiritual gifts of Christ resulting in the offices in the verse 11, which is, you know, as you read, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Whereas the, the NLT translation uh, translated into special gifts, which is still somewhat confusing. Paul uses a different word here uh, charis, translated as grace, to describe our unique gifts as individuals. And he didn't use his usual go-to work, which is the, also translated as gifts, but in Greek is charismata. And he used that a lot, you know, a lot, but particularly in Romans 12, 6, and 1 Corinthians 12. The focus here isn't so much on the various functions or offices of the church that we see in verse 11, but where the gifts come from and how we 
as members of the body of Christ are interdependent to one another as we, as we serve together. Let me say one more time, the focus here isn't so much on the various functions or the offices of the church that we see in verse 11, but it's where the gifts comes from and how we as members of the body of Christ are interdependent to one another as we serve together as one. I'm quoting John Stott again, the unity of the church is due to charis. God's grace has reconciled us to himself, but the diversity of the church is due to charismata. God's gifts distributed to church members. And I think that's the beauty of the body of Christ, the church, artisan, our faith community as one. We are lesser when we are only a collective of talented individuals who love and serve God in our own way. But when we acknowledge, accept, and appreciate our diversity within our oneness in Christ, then others will know the God that we worship. Beyond our gifts, beyond our talents, beyond our services, beyond our hospitality. Diversity in Christ's unity shines the brightest when we stop holding highlighters, marking our differences, but instead point to the one that binds us together. Let's go back to Ben. Remember him? Christina talked about him at the end of the, um, uh, well, in the middle of her book, and she said that was, and this is when she was living and, and worshiping uh, in Southern California. So she was near Santa Barbara, that district in near LA. And she, there was a fire, there was a huge fire, quite, you know, probably eight, nine years ago or more than that. And, and she realized that Ben, that obnoxious guy that she didn't want to see in heaven, was actually going to the fire zone, checking in on people that, uh, from the church and offering to help anyone, even though he's very different from them. And that astounded Christina, and she wrote this. During that summer, Ben showed me what it looks like to relativize differences in order to love each other in sacrificial ways. And as a member of the family of God, Ben uniquely demonstrates the character of Jesus. Ben is essential to me, and I would never have recognized this if I had forever cast him as a wrong Christian. The revelation about Ben makes me wonder if our understanding of Jesus, and by extension, our role as his followers, is limited by our inability to see him represented in the diversity of the body of Christ. I wonder how much Christ's heart is broken when we denigrate the followers of Christ who suffer, who differ from us. I shudder at the thought of it. And I'm the first to admit, it's so easy to live within my own bubble, right? It's so easy to live within our own cluster. Why not? It's comforting and soothing to mingle with people that speak our language, that know our inside jokes, they, they go to the same coffee roaster, they drink the same coffee, but God appears to have a very different idea. Christina continues, she said, but the doctrine of the Trinity and the cross require that I reconsider my exclusive lifestyle of sticking to my neighborhood, in quotation, and those who are like me, basically to the extent that I accept the work of the cross as my invitation to participate in the self-giving intimacy of the Trinity. I must be prepared to embrace self-giving intimacy with the other to partake in the sacrificial love of the Trinity 
is to participate in sacrificial love with all others, not just the ones who are part of my homogeneous Christian group. And I think this is the sign of maturity in faith, as we see in verses 13 to 16. So we can stand firm against other ideas that look like the truth. As Paul said, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth, but instead we will speak truth, the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. And I pray that will be our call and desire as people of Odyssey. The homily ends here, but it's up to us to live it out as we continue to this homily. And one of the steps that we can take is to participate at the table. And in a moment, Nelson's gonna lead us with this. But I will end with this quote from uh, Miroslav Wolf from his book, Exclusion and Embrace. And that's what he said. Think about this. When God sets out to embrace the enemy, the result is the cross. Having been embraced by God, we must make space for others in ourselves and invite them in, even our enemies. This is what we enact as we celebrate the Eucharist in receiving Christ's broken body and spilled blood. We, in a sense, receive all those whom Christ received by suffering.